Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. For more content, visit moralrevolution.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Hello, welcome to Moral Revolution Podcast. This is Caitlin Zick, the co-director. I co-direct with my husband, Cole Zick, but today I have one of my favorite people joining us on the podcast. Her name is Rebecca Bender. She is the CEO and founder of Rebecca Bender Initiative. You can find that on their website or on all the social channels. And she is a survivor leader. She's an author. She's also a mom of four beautiful girls. Um, And I'm so excited for you guys to hear from her today. We've never had a podcast like the one we're going to have today. And I'm so excited for you guys to tune in and hear more from her. She also has a brand new book coming out in October that we're super, or pre-order in October that we're super pumped about. But we'll get more into that. So, Rebecca Bender, can you tell us what does it mean when people hear survivor leader? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me. I'm so yes. excited to be here, and it always feels weird to try to look over the mess, yes. right? Everyone has this problem. It's so funny. Um, a survivor leader in the national kind of landscape is someone who has survived human trafficking and has gone on to be an advocate, go back into the field of uh, anti-trafficking, the anti-trafficking movement, so that they can make a difference with their lived experience. So we see a lot of people that are engaging survivor leadership to inform policy and legislation. They're engaging survivor leadership as advisors on boards. Um, And so, yeah, it's kind of a term that's becoming known. Some survivors don't want to use the term survivor leader because it it kind of only pigeons you into this one box that that's Mm. all you can bring is your lived experience instead of all the professional experience or the education you've received. And so sometimes it minimizes what you've gone on to do after being trafficked. Yeah. Um, but most people know that term and, and most places when you when you are looking to give time or resources to anti-human trafficking organizations, most people will ask, are you survivor informed? Are you survivor led? Um, just to make sure that someone's actually looking at your work and, and ensuring it's not unintentionally offensive or re-exploitive in any way. So yeah, we serve on a lot of boards so that we can ensure they're survivor-led and survivor-informed, and we love to promote the organizations that we work with. Wow, that's amazing. Now, let's go backwards a little bit, because I think for some listeners, I don't want to assume that a bunch of people even know, because I think sometimes when we hear human trafficking, people get you know immediate images of Cambodia or Amsterdam or whatever. They don't think this is happening in my neighborhood or at the Super Bowl or down the street. Right. Um, so maybe even just like a little one-on-one of what is human trafficking look like in the day and age we're living in? Yeah, absolutely. I think usually when I tell people I'm a survivor of human trafficking, they say, oh, like the movie Taken? Yeah. <laughs> well, Liam Neeson got yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I wasn't really pulled out by one leg while gripping at the carpet. Um, my dad didn't have a special set of skills to come find <laughs> me. So yeah, not really like Taken at all. Um, what I think trafficking is important to know about domestic human trafficking, what, what it looks like he, you know, in America and, and beyond, in any kind of first world country, is that trafficking looks very different based on the community and culture in which you live. So how trafficking looks in karaoke bars in Cambodia is going to be very different than how it looks in Nigeria, than the streets of D.C., than the online community or even homeless shelters here in Redding, California. Like it looks really different based on the community you live. Wow. And so learning to know, uh, learning more about you know, the diversity, the dynamics. Um, there's a new report that came out from the Polaris Project that 
shows 25 different types of human trafficking in America alone. Wow. So if we're only looking for the situations that match movies like Taken, we are going to literally miss two dozen other ways that it may exist in your own community. And you could walk by it. You could be standing you know, in the grocery store line with someone that's being trafficked. And because they don't have their hands in, you know, handcuffs right. and duct tape, then you don't notice it. And so wow. what are those signs um, of trafficking in your own community? And how can you look for when sex for sale exists? Wow. Especially in the culture we live. You know, you work in, yes. or, you know, hypersexuality yes. is a yes. big deal right now. Yes, it is. Sex for sale is on the rise in our culture. And it, um, it's creating a demand. Wow. Would you go into a little bit more about sex for sale? Like, what is that? I mean, I, we just were briefly chatting before we hit record just about the legalization that people are fighting for to normalize it. And what, what does it look like? What are the repercussions that that could even yeah. begin? Well, sex for sale is, uh, you know, it's one of the largest social justice issues of our time, human trafficking is. And, and that's because the hypersexual culture that we live in is fueling this desire of sex especially just mainly sex and so when you're not able to particularly engage in the types of sexual activities that you may have become addicted to via pornography or you may have been lied to through some of our media and entertainment to believe that this is the way it should look and maybe your relationship isn't matching what you're wow. seeing on screens or in images or in newspaper or magazines whatever it is they even make magazines nowadays. <laughs> um, then you look to buy it somewhere else. And so, unfortunately, that's creating a demand for traffickers to lure vulnerable young people into situations to exploit their vulnerability and make money off of them. It's, it's any sub marketing supply and demand equation, right? If, if Red Bull down the street at the local corner was selling off the shelf, then the manager would purchase more inventory at the next order. And it's the same thing. Sex for sale is becoming more and more of a demand. Wow. And so it's causing traffickers to look for vulnerable people to sell them. And it's really putting our at-risk youth and marginalized groups really at risk to bad guys wow. that um, are stopping selling drugs or guns and they're starting to sell people because sex for sale is on, on the rise so much. So Wow. And what are some ways, like, in people's communities, like you kind of described, like, it looks different based on what community or culture you're in. If they're like, wow, I wonder how it looks in my community. Does it exist in my community? What, who are our marginalized and vulnerable youth? Um, where would you suggest they start to, if they're like, man, I want to know more about in my own neighborhood first before I think of it elsewhere? Right, that's good. So the Polaris Project, their website polarisproject.com you can type 25 types of human trafficking polaris into google and it comes right up it's a great place to start just looking at all those 25 types because you'll notice two or three or maybe even four topics that you're going to see in your own communities all the time um, it does have to do a lot with labor and sex trafficking so if you're in an agricultural area you potentially could have some people that are being exploited through labor trafficking a lot of women who work in labor trafficking typically can be exploited sexually by their bosses as well. Mm. Um, in Florida, we just saw that Robert Kraft case hit the news all over where there was illicit massage parlor and women were being forced to live in inhumane conditions brought over from China on legal work visas that are attached to that employer. So I think people aren't realizing some red flags would be if there's a massage, if there's a, a massage center, massage spa, massage parlor in your local strip mall, in your town, in your community, but it happens to be really strategically located next to a gambling spot or an adult massage parlor, um, that's a red flag. Wow. And if their hours are really late, that's a red flag. 
So those are some signs to look for in regards to like illicit massage. Uh, there is a new push to have strip mall owners go through some sort of training to ensure they're not leasing their buildings oh, to awesome. specifically traffickers um, and helping them as, as commercial property owners to be really aware of some warning signs. But that's just one example. There's there's some there's examples for 25 different kinds, right? And so right. I think just getting to know your area in, in more rural communities, we're seeing a lot of familial trafficking, where you're seeing a lot of homeless youth. Those, pe- those young people are being targeted by traffickers, um, where you're seeing a lot of drug addiction, meth or opioid or heroin use in small rural communities. Um, a lot of times those families are exchanging their children to drug dealers or landlords. And so anytime you have a third-party perpetrator that's benefiting via monetary value. So those are the two things we look for when we're working cases. And I work a lot now with FBI and Homeland Security and undercover cops. And those are the two things we look for. Is there a third-party perpetrator and is something being exchanged for monetary value? And if, if you can say yes to both of those, then it's considered domestic human trafficking. Wow. Wow. There's probably a million different <laughs> ways we could go to talk about all of this. That it's kind of just, this is going to open up the opportunities for people to dig in more and figure out more on this topic and on this subject. Um, but I'm just picturing even... The prostitution, the word even, like most people just think, well, that's their choice. They put themselves there or, you know, they want to be there. Would you speak more to that and what sex for sale like in that comes to? Because I think people just think it's their responsibility. Uh, maybe just give some of your background and eye opening into that. Yeah, I think that a lot of people hear the word prostitution and so many words come to mind when you hear the word prostitute, right? It's like, we do this thing in trainings where we ask people to list the words that come to mind and people will yell out, you know, dirty, whore, druggy, um, slut, STD, all these horrible things. And <clears throat> we tend to say that um, using the word prostitute is like dropping the F-bomb in church. Like we don't do it. It's not a word we use to describe people because wow. it's not who they are. It's something that's happened to them, something they were forced into something they felt was maybe their only choice based on circumstance, but it's not who they are. They may have been in prostitution. They may be survivors of prostitution. They may be, they may be prostituted people, but they're human beings. Wow. And we don't know their backstory. We don't know how, to, how they got there. Um, you know, for me, I was lured off of technically a college campus. Um, I wasn't enrolled in the actual college, but I met my trafficker on, on a campus, on the U of O campus in Eugene, Oregon. Most people don't think of human trafficking when you think of Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. But that's where I met my trafficker. I met him at a, at a bar called Taylor's, if anyone's familiar. And um, he pretended to be my boyfriend, pretended to be a guy that took interest in me, got my phone number. We started what I thought was a normal relationship with, as an 18, you know, 19-year-old girl um, with a normal 24-year-old guy on a college campus. Colleges are a great place for traffickers to stay under the radar. Nobody really knows anyone. You're all kind of new. You can make wow. up backstories really easily about, oh, I'm here from so-and-so. I'm here from this place. Oh, yeah, I'm majoring in X, Y, or Z. Um, and so we see a, we have seen incidences where definitely girls have been lured off college campuses from men that are just flying under the radar. But from there, he pretended to um, date me for six months, got to know my hopes and my dreams, and I thought I had met the one that... I was going to get married, and um, it was interesting nowadays that I work in human trafficking. We see social media used constantly 
as a recruiting tool. And so while we talk about things like massage parlors or other forms of, uh, you know, areas where trafficking exists, social media is one of the largest places for human trafficking recruitment to exist. And we have seen so many new types of social media jump on the scene way beyond Instagram and Facebook. I mean, Snapchat's just the beginning, but there's new ones called Whisper that are out there. 13-year-olds can put out a secret without any account, so it's kind of anonymous. You can put within a, like a, you can put the mileage zone. I only want people to see within 30 miles of me, my secret. And we're seeing um, people who are trying to engage with young people immediately from, from that social media account. We're seeing a ton of dating sites used by traffickers to pretend to take you on normal dates. And then within the third or fourth date, when you allow him to pick you up from your apartment, now he knows where you live. And it turns very bad very quickly from there. So trafficking isn't happening immediately. Wow. It's not kidnapping. It's not, you know, jump in the car, stranger danger. It's not like that anymore. It's, it, they're taking their time and they're building an amount of trust that they can, they can exploit, take advantage of. Um, but with social media, you know, it's, uh, we had someone give this great example where they showed their account and they said, what are some things that you learned from me? And we were all like, oh, you're a, you're a trailblazer fan or you, right? And she, she was oh, yeah. sharing like, oh, you, you have nieces and nephews. Oh, you like fishing, whatever. And then she said, so what happens when I meet a trafficker and I think, wow, you're a trailblazer fan too. Oh, you love kids too. Oh, you like to go down the river too. I've met the perfect match. And so you're thinking you have all these things in common with someone because your brain isn't thinking everyone's a trafficker, but traffickers are banking on that. And so they're learning more about you and they're creating a fraudulent identity for themselves to pretend as if they have something in common with you when they really don't. Wow. They're, yeah, it's scary. But that's what happened with me. Took me to Vegas, um, invited me to move in with him, told me his job was relocating him to Las Vegas. And then he slapped me, took my daughter, and forced me into um, prostitution the, the, about the day after I arrived. Wow. And I thought it would get better. Like, I thought it would go away once I got the money back that he said he spent to move me there. And so I thought, I'm just going to get home to my baby because I didn't, hadn't memorized my address by heart. I didn't know where, you know, I didn't know where to go to get home to my daughter. Um, I was a young mom trying to put myself through school, so I had a baby. And... It was just um, this moment of thinking like this can't, this isn't trafficking because it's not duct tape and kidnapping and, you know, that only happens to kids in third world countries. And I just thought, well, my boyfriend, you know, is abusive and maybe I'm suddenly in domestic violence. And that's what I kept thinking. Wow. And that th it would get better once we got the money back that it cost his company to move me. Um, and so that's why I didn't run immediately. I... I was in love. And so it's much like any domestic violence where you think, well, maybe it'll get better. And then you have these honeymoon phases where it is quote unquote better, hmm. but that doesn't last, you know? And so um, I think that was the hard thing because as survivors, we grow up in the same culture as everybody else. We're picturing human trafficking as kidnapped kids in camp, you know, in other countries, like we've said, we're picturing that too. And so when our situations aren't matching that narrative, we don't ask for help because we think, well, we must not be being trafficked. We must have just chosen the wrong guy or got ourselves in a stupid situation and we're embarrassed. You self-blame. I should have known better. Mm -hmm. um, and then you start trying to plan how to run, but they don't, 
it doesn't always go, yeah. you know, like the movies. And so it took me six years to be able to get out of human trafficking. And in that time, I was traded and sold between three different traffickers. I was branded twice. I had two men tattoo their names on my back, like a piece of cattle, so I could be returned to my owner if I ran. I've had my face broken in multiple places. I had to have surgery to be able to fly because it was so painful. Um, I've been to jail seven times, arrested for prostitution-related charges. So when you're trying to restart your life again, um, it's embarrassing to have to take a background check or to want to volunteer at your kid's school and then wonder if the whole school's going to know. So then it just, it creates consistent barriers wow. to try to reintegrate. Um, and it's, it's really challenging to figure out um, how to be normal again, how to go to coffee with someone and try to be like a normal girl. Hmm. It feels like I'm not even a part of that world anymore. And it feels the longer and longer you're in it, the, the further the distance feels from trying to find your way back to being wow. normal. And so it, sometimes it can feel easier to just stay in the new normal than try to navigate all the barriers on your own, let alone all the trauma that you've endured from the beatings and the psychological abuse and the brainwashing and the, the trauma of bad calls and right when tricks hold you in the room and don't let you leave or um, want to do things to you to fulfill their porn fantasy that you're not okay with and didn't agree to, um, but they don't care. And what are you going to do? Call the cops and be arrested for prostitution? And I had one guy once that threatened to call the cops and um, tell the cops that I robbed him when I wouldn't perform the, por the porn that he wanted me to reenact it. And I was like, shoot, that'll be like a vacation. Call the cops. <laughs> That's what I told him. And he ended up taking my purse and physically pushing me out the door and held onto my purse. So I didn't have my car keys. I didn't have my driver's license. Uh, my driver's license had my home address on it, and my keys were in there. And so then it's that's fearful because you're yeah. thinking, this crazy dude now has my home address and my house keys. Like, what do I do? Hmm. Um, and so I kept banging on the door to try to get him to at least give me back my ID and my keys. Um, and that's when we just were screaming back and forth that we were both going to call the cops. And he finally threw my purse out in the hallway, but all the money was gone that um, I had just made for performing all these you know, requests, um, the hard part is when you go home to your trafficker with no money, then he beats you because he thinks that you're stealing money or you're trying to run. And, and so you have all this traumatic moments in the room, being locked in a room with a large grown man as a young adult, not really knowing what to do, afraid you're going to go to jail, afraid you're not maybe able to get out in time to pick your kid up from school. So you're having all of these PTSD, really kind of traumatic moments to only go home to be beaten for it. Um, it's like your fog never quite settles hmm. in your brain of trauma to make really clear decisions on how to escape because you're kind of always living in this trauma brain. Wow. It's like I just needed a breath. Like, just give me a moment to figure out an escape plan. But the moment doesn't always come. It's kind of hard, hard to find a time. Wow. As you shared, I'm just picturing like, the, the trapped feeling isn't necessarily always physically that it's so mental. Like it's so much in the mind with the brainwashing and the trauma. I mean, what, how did you get out of that? Like, what was the hope? What, what, where, yeah. How, how long does that take? How did you, how did you escape? How did you 
overcome? How did you get enough breath to come up with an escape plan? <laughs> yeah, sozo is always my answer <laughs> for all of this. I, um, I got radically saved and delivered from drug addiction in the wow. middle of my, of my time being trafficked. And I heard the voice of God for the first time and it wow. radically changed me. And then I was trafficked for another three years. And I could see the demonic and I could see the gnashing of teeth in men. And I felt the presence of demons. And I would just start interceding for myself when I would be coming home to what I knew was like a looming beating. I would start praying like I bind the spirit of rage in the name of Jesus. And I loosen a spirit of peace and receptivity over my trafficker in the name of Jesus. I just started really interceding on my behalf. But I had a praying family, like my grandma, I had a praying grandma. We all have a praying grandma. We all have, <laughs> praise God for praying grandmas, right? And um, my grandma and my aunt, my aunt especially, she used to say when I would ask her later that she said her, her prayer had been while I was being trafficked that the Christians around me would be faithful. So she would pray for me every day. The Christians around me would be faithful. And that just really hit me because I thought, you know, if I was standing in line at a grocery store and there was some Christian woman that felt like the Lord had put something on her heart to say, but, you know, you get that embarrassed feeling like, well, I don't know her business. Uh, maybe I'm off. And we've all had those moments. Yeah. But that someone's family may be praying for you to step out and say something, for you to step out and just give an encouraging word, give a prophetic word, whatever it is. And so don't be afraid of those promptings that their family is praying for you to do that. Uh, and so thankfully in 06, the feds raided our home. Um, one of the homes in Dallas that my trafficker had, we were in Vegas at the time. And then within a few months, um, they ended up surrounding the U.S. Marshals and feds surrounded one of the townhouses in Vegas. Long story short, um, my trafficker ended up serving 24 months in prison for tax evasion. And I ran before he went away. I knew that he had a self-surrender date, so he would be less likely to come after me because I did have one attempted escape where he did come after me, um, where I did get all the way home, and then he showed up in my small town in Oregon. So that was really fearful for me. He was going to oh, hurt my yeah. family. Um, he was going to cause a scene. I, I remember thinking that, which is so bizarre when you're like a healthy adult looking back that my biggest fear was he'd cause a scene. <laughs> <laughs> so random what, we, what we're afraid of when we're in the middle of danger, right? Um, but I was afraid he'd hurt my mom. I was afraid that he'd take my daughter. I was afraid he'd show up at her school and pick her up and, um, and then I'd have to go back to get her, to get her. And so, uh, I ran one afternoon when I knew he had a self-surrender day, so he wouldn't be able to come after me. And I waited till he was on the plane to go tell his mom he was going to prison for tax evasion. And I packed everything I could fit in a suitcase and I ran. And it's really hard, like... Choosing homelessness is a really hard decision and wasn't necessarily in that moment that I had that realization. It was about a little while later after another kind of incident. It's too long to share, so I have to buy the book in January. Yes. But, um, I, I just remember feeling like this sucks too. And I finally, after a wow. year of living with a guy that was not I was not married to and just like I just didn't know what to do after I got out. And, and then I finally, the Lord kept pulling at my heart and pulling at my heart to kind of go back to the basics in a sense. And I heard his voice again right away and it just kind of messed with my theology in regards to like, but I'm living in sin. How could I hear the voice of God type mm. of thing? Cause that's what the church kind of teaches you, right? Sin separates you from the voice of the Lord. Yeah. That's what I had been taught in church. And so it was kind of this 
paradigm shift where I felt like the prodigal son in regards to like my father ran to meet me, oh, right? Where wow. I was at in the midst of my sin. And um, he just started wooing me again and like getting getting to my heart. And, and so I chose homelessness to pursue Jesus. And it was really hard. My first year I was um, really depressed and I was on food stamps and government housing and I thought this sucks too. I don't wow. want this either. And I remember crying out to God and saying, like, I don't want, this is what you, like, rescued me for. Like, I'm out. This is lame. And I heard the Lord say, if you give me the same amount of time that you give the enemy, I will never be outdone. Wow. And I was like, all right. Okay, you've got six years. (laughs) (laughs) And if it ain't better, Jesus, I'm out. No, but I was, I was like, I'm a baby Christian. I was, you know, at the time oh, I was yeah. a baby Christian. I didn't really know. Like in the moment, in those moments, you don't have the capacity to be like, I'm committed. I'm sold out for God. You're not there yet. Yeah. You're barely getting to know him. And who's this person people talk about trusting, but I don't know if I can trust him because right now my situation's pretty bleak, you know, and, and it took him showing me that he was going to come through over wow. and over to build my faith, to get me to the point where I was sold out and mm. like, all right. I'm in. I'm all in. Come what may, come what storm. Can't be worse than what I've lived through. And I've lived through a lot. So this little thing, just looking, learning also to just um, look fear in the eyes and just be like, get behind me, Satan. There's Mm, nothing you can do to me that's worse than what I've been through. I've also found that when you feel fear, it's kind of like the enemy tipping his hands. Right? It's like, Ooh. it's like there's someone in church and you're like, oh, I want to talk to her, but, or him, but there's all this fear. And it's almost like that should actually be a warning sign that that's who you should go to because the enemy's trying real hard to keep you from right, them. Right, right. It's almost like, oh, you just tipped your hand of your cards. I should actually go left now. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. And when I've pushed past that fear and kind of called it out, um, those have become some of the, the best personal or professional relationships mm. that I've found. But it takes kind of like going at the fear instead of reverting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but a lot of Sozo helped me through the next six years of, of having Jesus work in me. And, um, yeah, just kind of asking God where he was at in those moments that were really traumatic. Hmm. And like, if you're all powerful, why would you allow this? Or if you're this ever loving father, why would you allow these things to happen? You know? And I think, Anyone who's been through any kind of hardship have had those questions yeah. to ask the Lord, why me? Why, if you love me, why? Um, and Sozo has been so powerful for me to have the Holy Spirit reveal exactly where God and Jesus were at mm. in those moments because mm. it turns your bitterness to gratefulness. Wow. It turns you and your, your heart into not why, but like, thank you. Mm. Thank you for going that extra step that I didn't see. Or yeah that protection that I didn't realize I needed Hmm. from and really just shifted shifted my heart. And for anybody listening who's like, what's Sozo? (laughs) I didn't know what Sozo was um, until just a few years ago, actually, but realizing I actually had experienced it years before that in counseling, it's just kind of a form of counseling where a believer, a Christian is walking you through, like, where is Jesus? Like, where was he? Where is he now? There's way more in depth to um, describing that, but totally look it up if that sounds like something you would love to learn more about. Sozo's an entire ministry of counseling and prayer. Sorry, I don't have any tissues, Rebecca. I'm sorry. 
Um, okay, so I would love for you to share with everybody what you built. Like, I just, I mean, first of all, you're my friend, but I just, honestly, as you share, I'm just like, you're such a warrior and such a legend, and you're so powerful, and if you knew Rebecca, what's crazy is to hear her story, you're like, what? No way, because there's just, none of that is carried over into who she is. It just feels, like, unbelievable, which reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.17, just the old is gone, the new has come, like, what a new creation looks like. And how we live and breathe as completely different people once Jesus takes over. So um, I just wanted you to share with the, everybody about what you built, like the Elevate and what like survivors, you're providing survivors all over the world, um, just training and everything. I'll do an injustice trying to share it. But will you, <laughs> will you tell them just in case like they know somebody or just for them to know it exists as like yeah. a hopeful thing for... Yeah, well, Survivors. I, I just really believe that um, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind could imagine the plans that God has for those who he loves and are called according to his purpose. And so when I decided to go all in, even though I didn't realize it, right, just saying like, all right, I'm going to choose homelessness to pursue you, God. But if this ain't better in six years, right, like we're going to talk again. And I, so it didn't totally feel all in, but it was that first step of commitment. And... From there, in the last, that was in 2009, February 22nd, 2009, so 10 years it's been, and in the last 10 years, God has taken me through this incredible journey of um, having jobs that I felt built me as a leader to learn and give me the experience I needed to, to manage teams, and um, you, know, you don't really realize what you're good at at 19, um, and you especially don't know what you're good at while you're being trafficked because you're really only used for one thing. You don't know. You have talents and abilities that are being left dormant, right, that wow. God wants you to use. And so figuring that out, figuring out who I was created to be and what God gifted me with to use for his honor and glory was really an exciting journey when you when you keep it in that, in, in wow. that context, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, this could actually be fun. What do I like to eat and not <laughs> just what I'm told to eat, you know? Mm. And um, that was really an interesting adventure. Sometimes scary and sometimes sometimes fun, but uh, the last five years, I the Lord told me to um, quit my job and start a nonprofit, and I was really scared. I never ran a nonprofit. I was like, uh, my trafficker didn't teach me how to do this. Can anyone mentor <laughs> me at this stage, or are you only working on rescues? I'm confused. <laughs> so um, just surrounded myself with a lot of great people, and we started a nonprofit to begin equipping community professionals on what human trafficking looks like in communities. And in the last five years, we have trained over 100,000 FBI agents, undercover wow. cops, homeland security, um, a medical, emergency medical providers and doctors and nurses um, and other community professionals, child welfare, just anyone who has the opportunity to intercept victims. I've got to work at Super Bowl the last two years in a row. I did, um, well, not two. I wasn't in Atlanta. I was in Minneapolis and Houston. Um, and I worked, I got an all op special access pass. So I worked a command post at Super Bowl and um, just a ton of incredible things the Lord has done. I have been honored to be a part of the National Advisory Committee. So I um, advise the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Wow. So we do congressional um, reports to Congress on the 11 kind of indicators or, or areas that every state legislator needs to really consider when they're talking about reforming sex for sale and where it's going. Um, I'm the co-chair on the Department of Justice for Human Trafficking. 
and I've got to really use my insight, which I didn't really realize. I thought everyone kind of knew stuff about human trafficking. I thought cops especially already knew all this stuff, and you don't realize that you have this, this insider tips kind of <laughs> about, a, about an organized crime. And so when we started doing these trainings, they just kind of organically developed into uh, prosecutors or detectives calling us when they had cases that they needed help on. And so working, you know, half a dozen cases where I've got to actually take the stand and testify as a human trafficking expert, just like a blood spatter expert or blood splatter expert <laughs> or a forensic expert um, to the jury on victimology and why people don't run and brainwashing and just how real that is. Wow. I would have never thought that I can actually remember flying home and crying and thinking, I'm going to work at Walmart the rest of my life. <laughs> I did. I cried. I thought, I'm going to work at Walmart in small town Oregon the rest of my life. I'm never going to get dressed up. I'm never going to travel. And like, wow. <laughs> such, <laughs> such a 180 that the oh. Lord completely redeemed everything. Um, wow. And that everything that the enemy intended for yeah. him was being used for his honor and glory. Yep. And so from there, we started mentoring other survivors who also wanted to figure out how to use their passion, their, their lived experience for purpose. And we started, um, I was going to school, finishing school online because I live in a very small community where we don't have seminaries, <laughs> finishing my master's in biblical studies. And one afternoon, about four years ago, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, if you can get a master's online, you can mentor online. And there are survivors who live in communities where services don't exist. Wow, Rebecca. And so I thought, okay. So I just replicated what my university was doing. I created an online school, used all the same technology, wrote the curriculum, and we started with seven survivors in our online cohort um, four years ago. And today we have 609 women enrolled in our online school in six different countries. Oh, amazing! Yes, it's really great. And we um, we teach them about SOZO. We actually have worked with Donna De Silva. And like, oh, my gosh. You know, she's put it out there for facilitators if they're interested in doing some. And some of our coaches are um, certified SOZO facilitators, and, and every survivor gets Beautiful. four individual coaching sessions, whether it's a professional career coach or a life coach or um, a SOZO. They get to choose which four they want. And we do that through fundraising. So obviously, if you want to donate, we all yes. need partners. But, um, <laughs> yes. It's really cool. This year, we've actually started opening up the school to any anybody who's lived through any kind of hardship and wants to turn their story into their dreams. Oh, I love it. And not just dream about it, but hmm. do it. So we have business classes. We talk about taxes and how to set up your LLC or your FPC or your 501c3. We talk about um, finding your specialty, using your story for purpose, how to break into publishing and professional speaking arenas. And, um, and then we have deeper levels of healing, which is a faith-based really d digging into the root of some of your trauma and helping to bring healing. So yeah, this year it's for anyone who's overcome any kind of hardship and you want to you wanna take your life to the next level, Elevate Academy. It's online. We have monthly start dates all the time. Amazing. Amazing. Rebecca's wearing a shirt that says, be the change you wish to see in the world. And I'm like, girl, you are doing it. <laughs> it's so funny because world changer is such like a, you know, coined phrase, but you literally are like, it is so powerful to see what you've created and what you've built and allowing your pain to be turned into 
God's glory in saving others. I also think of that verse, Second Corinthians, I think it's 1-4, where it says, with the same comfort we've received from God, we give to others. Mm, it's like good. with that same stuff, like what you needed. You're being who you needed when you were at that place. Like you needed somebody to say, how do I do this thing mm-hmm. God's calling me to with a 501c3 yeah. and a book? And how do I use my voice? How do I own my story and right. let it bring God glory? instead of just being trapped and stuck in my trauma, but true healing to the deepest parts. It's unbelievable. It's so exciting. It's like Gideon, you know, when he said, I'm the least of these and I'm from the smallest tribe, right? And when I got out of trafficking, I I have no social capital. I have no relational capital. I don't know people. I don't have, right? My family doesn't have money. I come from a very small farm town. Like I I knew no one and I had nothing. And the Lord just kept saying like, I would see someone get an opportunity and, and sometimes bitterly I would be like, oh, nepotism, you know, <laughs> just being honest. And yeah. Like, oh, there's nepotism. And the Lord kind of checked me and he was like, but I'm your father and I have nepotism mm. and he's the father to the fatherless. And, yeah. and not that I don't have a dad and a great stepdad too, but it's that difference that when God wants to open a door for you, God will open that door for you. You don't have to go beat it down. You don't have to try to figure it out. Like when it's your time, it'll be your time. And God, nothing will be able to stop hmm. what God has. Just keep drawing near to him so your heart gets changed to the desires. Right? Like, he'll change your heart to have the desires that he wants you to accomplish. I always joke, uh, my daughter's an athlete, and she eats, breathes, sleeps, athletics, right? Running, workouts, drills, diet. And I don't ever think about none of it. Not ever, not once. I'm like, Jim who? I don't know him. Um, So if God wanted me to, if my call and destiny was to be an athlete, I would think very differently. My heart would be in it differently. And so I think that's the one thing when you draw near to God, you can trust that the desires of your heart, Hmm. what you think about, what you dream about, what you're driving around, town to run errands and your brain kind of floats to that's what God's actually calling you to mm. and so like you can trust that you can trust those those dreams that you have drop the mic <laughs> a gold mic if you could see the mics we're speaking on right now <laughs> golden mic. dreams right here <laughs> Um, anyways, if, I mean, I wish I could see your other faces listening to this on the other side, because I hope you are feeling as rocked by Rebecca's story as I am. Um, please make sure you go find her on social media, her new book in the, am I allowed to say the title? Sure. In the, in In pursuit pursuit of of love. love. Um, is coming out in January, but pre-orders in October. But honestly, you can follow along with her journey, her story, and what she's doing all over the world, um, just bringing hope to the hopeless and changing the world. (laughs) Thank you, Rebecca, so much for being with us today. Um, I'm sure we're going to have her again in the future. And that is all. We'll see you next month. Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. For more content, visit moralrevolution.com and follow us on social media, pursuing God's design for sexuality.